Tonight's Bible reading comes from Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 19. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw this was, that this was met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak round you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she, when she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that the, they be executed. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you so much for that. Well, welcome once more. Um, I just have, want to touch on uh, last week's service, actually. Last week was just an absolutely awesome service, yeah? It was so good to hear the testimonies of those people and see them get baptised. And uh, already this week, I've had a number of people come to me and say how they've been impacted by those words. So uh, Liam and Taylor, thank you so much. And uh, it's been an encouragement to so many people to make that public declaration of your faith. If you haven't been baptised, I'm going to say it again. You believe, you get baptised. No special call, no special spirituality, nothing like that. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you should obey him and be baptised. Come and talk to me after, and I'll be more than happy to do that with you very, very soon. Then we already have one candidate uh, for the next baptismal service, so I'm stoked, I'm excited. So uh, it's going to happen. So 
Awesome service last week, no reason why this service can't be the same. Uh, those services are so encouraging, but it's even more encouraging when we as a people decide that we're going to follow Christ and we take steps to do exactly that. And that's my desire for each and every service that we come to, whether I'm up the front or sitting in the pews. I just want to see people engage with God. I want to see people so excited about their faith that they want to tell others about it. And so tonight we're going to be continuing that series on our QB Baptist, uh, the QB Movement's uh, 21 Days of Prayer for Revival. And uh, we've only got a couple more weeks of this to go. Um, but tonight in particular we're going to be looking at interceding in prayer and the majority of the message is going to be based on the chapter of script, uh, the passage of scripture that we've just had read out to us and uh, it's possibly beneficial to have a little bit of background about what is actually happening at this time and uh, we know that King Herod died in around AD 43-44 so this happened before that but it couldn't have happened too much before that um, because of Jesus being around AD 30 and those types of things and this was well after that so we'd say this is about AD 40 somewhere thereabouts and we know that Jesus Jesus uh, taught his disciples to pray and he taught them to say your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven but I wonder if we realize that what is occurring in the books of Acts the book of Acts is exactly that this prayer is being answered at that time the kingdom of God coming on earth and growing more and more and the Jews hated the followers of Christ and so they'd been persecuting them in a huge way and as a result, a large number of followers of Christ had scattered into the known world at that time. But the thing was, as they went, they proclaimed the gospel and more and more people came to faith and the church continued to grow even though it was facing great persecution. And so rather than hampering or slowing down or annihilating uh, those who followed Christ, it grew more and more. And then Herod steps in. He's not happy about what's happening with the followers of Jesus either. This is a man who loved power. And as he looked at the followers of Jesus, he saw that they were growing rapidly. And he saw this as a threat against himself. And so he was quite happy to join with the Jews in persecuting, in persecuting the Christians. And so he elected to use that influence and power that he had to stop the growth of the church. And he arrested James. And we know that he put him to death. And then he arrests Peter, and his intention is to kill him also. Could you imagine what it would have been like, what it would have been like for the early church at that time? Here's two of their very influential leaders, two people who've had a huge impact upon them. As good as dead, James has already been killed, and they believe Peter is going to face the same fate. And Herod was keen to ensure that that would actually happen. He wanted to make sure Peter stayed in prison without any opportunity for him to escape. So he made sure that he had guards present the entire time. And there were those four squads of soldiers, 16 of them in all. So they were on a rotation every three hours. There'd be four guys guarding the entire time, two of them chained to Peter. And so Peter would be stuck there the whole time, never unattended, chained to two guards, and there'd be two guards standing watch at the door ensuring that he can't leave the prison so before we get into the rest of it we'll pause and pray father god i want to thank you again for the power of your word i want to thank you for the account that is before us and lord i just pray for the truth of your word to come in i pray that it'll be a word that challenges us a word that draws us closer to you a word that just stirs up a desire to pray a desire to intercede for others lord and may we just do that in jesus name amen 
As, as we read through this account, we, we see Luke contrasting the incredible power that Herod is seen to have against the minimal power the church supposedly has as well. He keeps making this contrast. This, and uh, the church has no military power. They have no political allies. They don't have any weapons. They've got no way to fight by the world standards. They're a minority group and they're in a very difficult place at the moment. They're facing huge persecution. But they have this one advantage. They believe in this all-powerful, all-knowing God and they believe that he wants to intercede on earth for them. They believe that he will answer their prayers. And so they have this power of prayer. They connect with him that way. They talk with him and they enjoy coming to him and praying. And so this is exactly what they do. And when they come to him, they pray earnestly. And the church is well aware of the situation with Peter. It would seem... um, It was seen that at this time in the church, these guys aren't those type of believers that go, well, actually, we've tried everything else, now let's try some prayer. And I think there's a lot of places that have come to that point where prayer is the last thing they come to. This seems to be a church, this seems to be a people who respond in prayer first. And so they come and they pray. And while Peter was kept in prison, earnest prayer was being made for him to God by the church. And where Luke says that the church was praying earnestly for him, the the word that was used here is the same word that was used when it speaks about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was praying so earnestly that he sweat droplets of blood. And so when the church is praying, this is how they're praying. They're praying with that same commitment. Um, They're praying, crying out in the same way as what Jesus cried to the Father to allow that cup to pass him by. And so they're interceding for Peter. They're praying earnestly, which is a fervent, passionate, constant, without ceasing type prayer. They are not going to give up until they get an answer. And he indicates that they believe in the power of prayer. This wasn't a last resort. This was their first port of call. They were going to go to God and they weren't going to let up until they understood what God was doing in this present situation. Have you ever had someone intercede for you? I mean, seriously, intercede for you? I came to faith, I believe, because there was a guy who prayed for me for years. He was my youth leader when I was very young, about 12, and I left when I was about 13, and he didn't see me for six years, but he prayed all the time for me over those six years. I also had another interesting situation when I went to the Solomon Islands. They're they're an incredible people, the Solomon Christians. I went over to the Solomon Islands and uh, I went over there in winter, so it was only 32 degrees. And and, uh, while I was there, um, I had my typical summer uniform on, long sleeves, long pants, collar turned up, hat on, so that I could stay out of the sun because I've got skin cancer problems. And of course, that was rather interesting for the locals. And some of the Christian brothers there said, Brother Charlie, why, why do you dress like this? And I explained to him how, you know, the sun affects my skin and I get skin cancer and he goes, oh, can this be dangerous? I was like, yeah, I said it can kill people. He's like, oh, brother, he said, can I pray for you? Anyone who ever says, can I pray for you? Don't even ask, just start praying. I never knock back prayer. And anyway, this guy said, can I pray for you? I said, yeah. When this guy prayed, he prayed like he had cancer. And I was dumbstruck I couldn't believe how passionately he prayed and it was like he was dying he was affected I was like wow I thought I knew what intercession was this guy these people they know how to intercede he he felt what I felt he understood 
the threat and he wanted to intercede with God for me. I never really thought about it until tonight, but I haven't had any cancer since then. That's interesting. I've had a few spots done recently, but none of it was cancer. Who or what are we praying for earnestly? Who or what are we interceding for? Prayer is personal, but it's also intercession. Intercession occurs when we pray on behalf of someone else. They might be suffering. They may have walked away from God. They may be making some bad decisions. They may be close to committing their lives to Jesus. But whatever the reason, earnest intercessory prayer is about us coming to God and asking for him to intercede in power, asking for him to have his will and way in their lives. We do it because we want the absolute best outcome for that person or that situation. We do it because we care for them. We cannot pray earnestly. We cannot pray earnestly for someone if we don't really care about them, if we don't want the best for them. We can't pray earnestly for someone if we don't believe God even cares, if God's not going to intercede and do a great work. We can't earnestly pray in those cases. But this church was earnestly praying for Peter. We don't know what they were praying. It would seem to me that they were more praying for strength for Peter, that he'd be able to endure to the very end, that God would give him the grace and power to maintain his faith until he crossed over um, to him. And I'll explain a little bit more about that later because I personally don't believe they were actually praying for his release. And there is actually a reason for that. And, but we don't know what they were praying but the early church is characterized by an attitude of prayer. Prayer is what they did in all circumstances. When something great happened, they would go and they would praise God. They would pray to him and everything like that. When something bad happened, they would go to God. They would pray to him and ask him to intercede for them. So it was just a characteristic that they had. They did it in all situations, all circumstances. It was normal to pray. If that is a characteristic of the early church, why is it not so evident now? Why do we have 21 days of prayer for revival? Why don't we have 365 days of prayer for revival? We need to question if we as a church are not responding in earnest, fervent, extended prayer when we face issues, then where's our faith? What's our faith in? What are we trusting in? What are we relying on? If we're not praying, then we are not believing that it is God who supplies our needs. If we do, though, then we should pray endlessly. And this is an amazing part of this account of Peter's imprisonment. Peter, uh, Luke, wants us to make, Luke wants to make it very clear to us that Peter has no other power but the power of God. Just, just think about his situation. Peter's relying on no one but God at the moment. I mean, here he is in prison, bound between two guards. There's sentries at the door and Peter's been jailed for eight nights. And the only reason why he's been there for eight nights is because there's this festival that has to wrap up. And as soon as that festival wraps up, he's going to be brought out and he's going to be killed. So the time this account is actually written is his last night on earth, basically. He's going to be taken out the next morning and he's going to be tried if they bother to give him a trial. And then he will be executed. And we're told that he's chained to these two guards. The, there's another two guards at the door and, and he's in the middle of all of this and... Uh, of course, you know, he's stressed, he's worried, he's wide awake, and no, he's not. He's sound asleep. Like a guy who doesn't have a care in the world. 
He doesn't seem too concerned. And it's like he believes God has this and God's going to work it all out. So Peter doesn't need to worry about it. And he's totally relaxed about the whole situation. And I don't know about you, but we may have forgotten, some may have forgotten, that Jesus said something to Peter that may explain this carefree attitude. Back in John 21, when Jesus restores, the, restores uh, Peter to the rest of uh, the disciples, where he says, you know, do you love me more than these? Um, or do you love me, sorry? Uh, there's, there's something that Jesus says to him, and this is what it is. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk where you wanted, but when you are old... Will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry, carry you where you do not want to go. And this was to talk about the type of death that uh, Peter would actually suffer and it's going to happen when he is old. He's not old in the account we're reading tonight. There's only a few years after Jesus has left the earth. And perhaps Peter just knows, well, Jesus told me I'm going to be old, I'm going to be put to death another way, so I don't need to worry about this. I don't know how he's going to work it out, but God's got this and I'm just going to sleep. I've got no worries. God's going to sort it. And so this church are the ones that are worrying. They're praying endlessly for Peter. From when he was first in prison to this final night, they're still praying. And I don't know about you, but do you ever feel that God leaves things too late? Like, I, 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 a number of you would have heard me say that uh, God turned up almost too late. You know, I, I wanted him to turn up on this day and he turned up here. But it was only almost too late. When I think about it, when all is said and done, it was exactly the right time. It was exactly when it should have happened. You've possibly heard that old joke, Lord, give me patience and give it to me now. It's the same sort of thing, isn't it? You know, we pray and we want answers and we want them now. And that's what we're talking about. But, of course, none of you are really like me. And so you've never done that before. I never seem to learn that God's plans and timing is best, that his plans and timing is always right. I get on edge, I get frustrated, I want answers, I want them now. But when I pray, especially for something I really want an answer to, I want God to answer now. I don't want to have to wait. But that's not the way it works. God's timing is best. And we can tell you hundreds of stories me and Elena, about the things God has done, which we had to wait for. And you've heard us testify about the incredible house God blessed us with. We had to wait six months for that. I wanted it long before that. But I'm so glad we waited because what we've got is just so far over and above what we wanted. But God wants us to live lives that reflect dependence on him. And if I need somewhere to live, and I'm praying and petitioning him for that on a daily basis, it shows that I'm trusting him for it and no one and nothing else. Not my own wisdom, not my own ability, even though I spent so long in real estate. I'm saying, God, this is you. I need to trust you in the midst of this. And that's the way God wants us to live, total dependence on him. And it seems that Peter's learnt this a bit, but it seems the church is still learning, the church that's praying for him. They don't get an answer. And so they're praying constantly, though. They're praying endlessly, so they're learning. And God wants us to walk with him, to work with him, to learn from him, to depend on him and to learn his voice. Remember, he's the good shepherd and the sheep hear his voice and obey him. And that's what he's calling us to do. Think about some of the things, uh, some of the people you have prayed earnestly for. Sometimes God lays someone on our heart and we so passionately pray for them for this long. Have you ever felt that you've given up too early? 
Have you ever felt that you should have kept praying? I, I can testify to that. I can testify that I've given up on people that I should have kept praying for. God wants us to play, to pray endlessly. And we know that because remember the story of the persistent widow in uh, Luke 18. And this widow keeps coming to the judge and she asks for the judge to provide justice for her against her adversary. And he says, no, he doesn't really want anything to do with this woman. He doesn't want to even speak with her. But she keeps coming back to him again and again and again. And ultimately, because of her persistence, he relents and he gives her the justice that she asks for. And then we're told that God's nothing like that judge. God's nothing like that. He wants to give good things to us. And and he willingly does that. He's compassionate towards us. But he loves hearing our prayers. He loves hearing our dependence upon him. He wants us to keep praying. He wants us to endlessly show our complete dependence upon him. And that's what it's about when we constantly go back to him. That parable that I was just talking about with the widow and the judge ends with Jesus asking, when he returns... Will he find faith on this earth? Will he find people still praying endlessly? Still believing God answers prayers? We're called to pray earnestly. We're called to pray endlessly. And we're called to pray expectantly. How do we go with this? When we pray, do we honestly pray, believing that God will answer those prayers? You've heard me say about the guy that I saw in Garden City and God said, I want you to pray for that man's healing. He was in a wheelchair coming towards me. And and, and I just in my mind said, no way, God, that's nuts. I didn't believe God was going to heal that man. I, I regret that to this day. And do we believe that God will answer those prayers? And if not, why not? We say God's all powerful. We say he's almighty. He's all knowledgeable. We say he's got storehouses full of whatever we desire we say that when we pray within his will he is more than happy to give us what we ask why don't we believe he can do it why don't we trust him when we pray we should pray believing that god will answer our prayers if someone was to come in tonight in that wheelchair and say i believe god told me that you should pray for me for my healing that I get up and walk out of here. How are we going to pray? Are we going to pray believing that person's going to get up and walk out? And if they don't, is that going to change the way we pray? Because it shouldn't. We pray believing because can God do that? Yeah, he can. But it's not up to me to decide whether that guy's going to get up and walk out. That's God's will. That's what he does. And it shouldn't change the way I pray, the expectation that I have in prayer for God to heal. And so this church is praying earnestly for Peter. And they continue to pray, even though we don't know exactly what they're praying. And and that prayer is continuing endlessly. And even as this happened, and and so we get this account. Was anyone here this morning with Pastor Darrell preaching? He he almost acted this out. It was pretty cool. I I love the way he did this. But Peter's in prison, and this is the night before his execution, and he's sleeping. He's not just a light sleeper. He's obviously deep in sleep here. Just look at what's going on. This angel appears in the cell. There's this bright light, I would imagine, shining around, and Peter is just sleeping through it all. Me, if there's suddenly a light turned on, you know, even remotely close to me, I'm awake straight away. But Peter... He's out to it. He is sleeping so lightly. Pastor Darrell reckons the angel went, this light shone and goes, hey, Peter, wake up. 
And when Peter didn't respond, then the angel reached over and shook his shoulder and said, Peter, wake up. He stood him, wake up, and then, boom, hit him up the side of the ribs. That's what woke Peter up. It says that, though. He struck Peter on the side. That's a pretty severe hit. So this angel hit Peter to wake him up. And Peter wakes up. Peter's a bit groggy, though, and uh, certainly I've encountered people who are like this. And they wake up, and they're on their feet, but they're not awake, are they? They're staggering around and things like that. Pete's naked, too, by the way. And so the angel says, hey, Pete, put some clothes on, mate. It's like, oh, right. So he puts his clothes on. Sandals, Pete, put your sandals on. It's like, right, puts his sandals on. Your cloak, Pete, you're going to need to put cloak. You're going outside, put your cloak on. Does that, staggers out with the angel, gets out on the street, heads right the way up the road after going past the guards, the doors open, everything like that. Gets out on that road and the angel disappears. This is where Peter suddenly believes without a doubt that God has interceded and brought him out of prison. And so Peter's left with God doing these amazing things. And Peter heads to Mary's house. We know Mary's house is, uh, well, Mary must be wealthy because it's a house that has a gate with a courtyard and everything like that. And Mary's also got people at this house who are not wealthy. She's got a servant girl there uh, called Rhoda. And, And so this is where the church gathers. They gather in Mary's house and they've been praying for Peter. So Peter heads there. And the question is, were they praying expectantly for Peter to be released from prison? I, I don't think so. Because you see what happens, this servant girl, Rhoda, she, she goes to the door when the knocking occurs. She goes to the door. She sees it's Peter. She's really excited. She goes racing back to the guys inside. And she says, Peter is at the door. And these guys say, uh-uh, you're out of your mind. There's absolutely no way. And so she keeps insisting to them that it is Peter. She recognised his voice. She hasn't opened the door. She was so excited, she just bolted back inside. And Peter's still stuck outside. And she's like, no, seriously, it's Peter. He's out there. And because she kept it up, these guys finally say, well, actually, it must be his angel. As Pastor Darrell said, why would an angel knock on the door? Who knows? But it's possibly a way of them saying, it's his soul. He's dead. He's gone. And, and that must be what's at the door. And so they've been praying fervently for Peter and the miraculous answer is standing at the gate outside. And they can't believe it. It's just too incredible. And so these guys finally see that it is him. These guys didn't believe it. And I wonder, have we ever prayed because we thought it was the right thing to do? Someone's asked us to pray and we just pray for them. We actually don't believe the prayer we're praying. We just pray it because it's the right thing to do. It will comfort them or whatever. You know, you go through the motions saying what is expected, but you don't really believe what you're praying. In fact, you believe the opposite, um, the worst-case scenario. Think about these guys. They were praying for Peter, and when Peter's at the gate, instead of being overjoyed and checking that out for themselves, they just believed he was dead, that it was his angel at the door. But we need to believe God hears our prayers. He doesn't just hear our prayers. He answers our prayers. These guys are praying, but they're not really expecting anything good to come of it. 
I have no doubt that these people who were praying for Peter would be the same people who prayed for James. And he was first imprisoned. He was the first one to go. And they would have prayed for James, and yet James was killed. And when this stuff happens, we begin to ask, does God hear our prayers? Does God care? Could he even be bothered answering my prayers? Does he want to be involved in our life? And we can't understand why the difference between James and Peter. I don't understand that. But that's the way things work. And we just need to trust that God has it all in hand, that he has a plan and a purpose. Think about this group that is gathered. We know there's rich people present. We know that there's poor people present. But they're united in one thing. They are praying. And they see prayer as all they've got. And they don't always understand the things that are happening. They don't under, always understand um, the way the prayers are answered, just as we are the same. But they're going to continue to trust God, regardless of what happens. Because God knows. He never loses control. And in the case of Peter, we see this earthly king, Herod, is no match for our heavenly king, the king of kings and the lord of lords. And he taught us to pray. He taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the question is, will you surrender to him? Will you do that? Will you surrender to him and his will? Because when we do, his kingdom is established in our hearts and everything changes. Or it should. I should no longer selfishly pursue what I want. I should consider him and what he wants me to do. And the only way we're going to make a difference in this world is if we surrender to him. Pastor David brought up, uh, Pastor Darrell, sorry, brought up 1 Peter 3.12 this morning. And this speaks about this very passage of scripture so beautifully. It says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. He sees his people and his ears are open to their prayers. He hears them, he answers them. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Do you know what happened to Herod just after this? He was eaten by worms and died. The church continued to grow. We serve a good God. Are we praying earnestly? Are we praying endlessly? Are we praying, praying expectantly? When Elena and I were living in Gladstone, our water supply got down to, it was less than 10%, I think it was almost 5% or something like that. We went out to Awonga Dam to have a look and uh, I've never seen such a large water reservoir that just looked like a puddle. There, there was nothing there. It was scary. And the council actually called people of faith, Christian people, to come together and pray that we would receive rain. Um, by God's providence, uh, in this incredible drought, it had already been budgeted that the dam wall would be raised. So we've got this dam wall being raised and absolutely no water in the dam. It was a really bizarre situation. And the council called us to come together to pray, people of faith, and we came together and we prayed. It rained that afternoon. A few smatterings. Nothing great. And it's funny because those who were against the churches, those who were against God, made a lot of fun of that. A week later, this massive cyclone came down the coast and went inland and gave us 110% of the former capacity of our dam. The dam was filled like that. It was filled so quickly that the picnic areas and that that used to be around the old dam weren't taken out in time. We actually had to hire divers from Brisbane to, I don't know, people know more than me, you can use oxys underwater or something apparently. So they had specialist divers come up with that and underwater chainsaws to cut trees down so they can make it safe. That's how quickly the water rose. Big prayers. God answers them. And the one thing about that, all the churches came together. 
You know, when we've had great revival in our world, think of Billy Graham. Billy Graham wouldn't go into a town unless the churches were united and praying for revival. Did God do a great work as a result? Yeah. And I believe when we come together as a people, when we are united, when we earnestly seek our God, something happens. There's a shift. There's a dynamic change. And God does great things. And that's all we're trying to encourage you to do, to be united, to seek our Lord, to commit our ways to him and put everything else aside. Will we do it? That's the question. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you first and foremost that you've called each one of us. And Lord, thank you for the message tonight. And Lord, my desire is that we will learn to pray earnestly, endlessly and expectantly. Teach us how to pray like that, Lord. And Lord, let us have a desire just to come together as a people to seek your will and purpose, to submit to you. We thank you for the opportunity we have during this 21 days of prayer for revival, Lord. Just... Pray your spirit, Lord. Let there be a true spiritual awakening, I pray. Let it begin with me, Lord. Let it begin with us. In Jesus' name, amen.